Hello everyone. You are listening to the Creative Biolabs podcast, we provide reliable exosome-related services and products to clients around the world. Our services cover all aspects of exosome isolation and purification, identification, antibody and engineering. Dear friends in the audience, you are welcome to listen to our program on time every Saturday night. Today, we invited our old friend Dr. Hofstadter to the program. He will lead us to explore more interesting knowledge. Let's welcome Dr. Hofstadter with warm applause. Would you say hello to our audience, Dr. Hofstadter? Good evening, every dear friend in the audience. It is quite nice to see you again. Thank you for your invitation, dear Connie. I'm very glad to be here. As we mentioned in the previous program, exosomes contain a variety of primary and secondary biologically active lipids, such as diglycerides, prostaglandins, leukotrienes, phosphatidic acid, and arachidonic acid. These biologically active lipids have a variety of functional properties. For example, phosphatidic acid facilitates the membrane fusion between exosomes and target cells. So far, studies have confirmed that exosomes are functional units of lipid metabolism, derived from phospholipids and fatty acids. In addition, the role of lipids in exosome-mediated cell-to-cell communication has also been exemplified. But what effect do exosomal lipids have in cell-to-cell communication, or in other words, what functions are they responsible for? We will focus on this issue today. Dr. Hofstadter, what factors are involved in determining the functional impact of exosomal lipids in cell-to-cell communication? Yeah, well, I think the composition of exosomal lipids is one of the important factors. The diversity of phospholipid molecules, free fatty acids, and sterile metabolites are in the range of hundreds of molecules. In addition, the functional impact of exosomal lipids in cell-to-cell communication also depends on which part of the target cell they interact with. As we mentioned before, you know, exosomes can first interact with the plasma membrane for a period of time, and then be internalized through various internalization processes. It is not difficult to draw the conclusion that exosomes have the particularity of potentially triggering the peripheral and internal functional effects of target cells. Okay. Then I'd like to talk a little bit about the time and space sequence of exosomes to function in target cells. Would you like to explain in detail the interaction between exosomal lipids and the periphery of target cells? Yeah, I mean, it's really, really an important topic. As mentioned earlier, exosomal phosphatidylserine binds to specific peripheral TIM1 and TIM4 receptors. TIM is an abbreviation for T-cell or transmembrane, immunoglobulin, and mucin. In humans, there are three subtypes of TIM receptors, all of which play a key role in regulating the immune response. TIM1 acts as a costimulator of T-cell activation while TIM3 triggers the apoptosis of Th1 cells. TIM4 is only expressed in antigen-presenting cells. Phosphatidylserine can bind to receptors in cells and act as a link between T-cells and antigen-presenting cells, thereby promoting their interaction and antigen presentation. Lysophosphatidylcholine is produced in exosomes through the activity of phospholipase A2. 
Lysophosphate adilkaline is a chemoattractant for lymphocytes and induces the maturation of dendritic cells. The immunologically active exosomes accumulated in the lymph nodes can enhance antigen presentation through lysophosphatidylcholine-mediated processes. Exosomes lysophosphatidylcholine may bind to G2A receptors on target cells to trigger some positive effects of exosomes in the immune system. In addition, among the biologically active lipids carried by exosomes, you know, eicosanoids may interact with their respective G-protein-coupled receptors. I see. Exosomal lipids appear to be involved in the fate and internalization of exosomal material into recipient cells. In this sense, how does the fate of exosomes depend on the interaction of phosphatidylserine and lysophosphatidylcholine with their respective receptors in target cells? You're right. In addition to the internalization of exosomes, phosphatidylserine and lysophosphatidylcholine are also involved in the elimination of exosomes in organisms. The number of effective exosomes in the intercellular space and biological fluids determines their steady state in terms of their positive or negative effects. The two phospholipids phosphatidylserine and lysophosphatidylcholine participate in exosomal elimination by triggering the DEEPME signal of phagocytes. In fact, the TIM4 receptor is also involved in the phagocytosis of exosomes. It mediates the phagocytosis of exosomes by macrophages, in a manner similar to clearing apoptotic cells. Let's take respiratory exosomes as an example. Lysophosphatidylcholine binds to IgM-type immunoglobulins and then activates factors related to the complement system. The exosomal membrane becomes recognizable by complement receptors, expressed on macrophages and, you know, is further eliminated. Haha, <laughs> that eat me statement is interesting. Okay, I know that exosomes enter target cells through a variety of endocytic pathways. In this process, I was thinking, how do exosomes carry biologically active lipids and be internalized by recipient cells? I was just about to add that. First, exogenous exosomes can be internalized by cells through various receptors, such as CD91. This receptor can bind to heat shock proteins, which is a chaperone protein enriched in exosomes. This process allows exosomes to transport the bioactive lipids. Many soluble carrier proteins, such as serum albumin or plasma membrane transport proteins, are involved in the transport of these lipids. But not all lipid transport requires a specific protein. In the process of endocytosis of exosomes, many bioactive lipid molecules, let's say fatty acids or eicosanoids, enter cells at the same time with exosomes either by inserting into the exosome membrane or by binding with proteins in the vesicle cavity. To my knowledge, exosomes are the first reported transport system for prostaglandin 15-DPGJ2. How did it complete the transfer task? Well, exosomes can drive this prostaglandin across the cell membrane. The compound is then directed to the cytoplasm to bind to its receptor, named peroxisome proliferator activated receptor. Subsequently, the prostaglandin 15-DPGJ2 peroxisome proliferator activated receptor complex can move to the nucleus to regulate transcription. In addition, the internalization of exosomes through G-protein coupled receptors on the periphery of the cell 
usually brings prostaglandins PEG2 or leukotrienes into the cell. What a complicated process! Then what are the functions of PGE2 and leukotrienes in cells? I'm not sure yet. I mean, I only saw one report highlighting the possible activity of intracellular PGE2 in inducing BACS-dependent apoptosis in a subpopulation of BACs expressing glioblastomas. However, in these experiments, you know, the way PEG2 enters the cell is not natural but artificially injected. So I think this may be different from the natural way of transporting PEG2 into cells through exosomes. Okay. There are many reports that prostaglandin PGE2 and 15D-PGJ2 are inextricably linked with tumor development. Can I ask why? Yeah, overall, the balance between immunosuppressive PGE2 and anti-tumor 15D-PGJ2 in tumor exosomes, you know, is the key point of their results in tumor development. The normal fate of PGE2 is secreted through plasma membrane transporters. PGE2 will trigger synergistic immunosuppression and enable tumor development. Exosomes derived from murine breast adenocarcinoma cell lines and corresponding tumors contain PGE2, the content of which is related to the induction of myeloid-derived suppressor cells. So, these cells downregulate T-cell function in the body. Inactivation of exosomal PGE2 by specific antibodies can partially reverse the proliferation of myeloid-derived suppressor cells. Recently, a cell death-induced tumor repopulation pathway including caspase 3 or calcium-independent phospholipase A2, or PGE2, has been proposed as a mechanism for tumor recurrence after radiotherapy. To be precise, I would say all components of this pathway have been found in exosomes. Fatty acids are usually combined with carrier proteins, such as serum albumin, and transported in the circulation. Subsequently, they are inserted into the plasma membrane of the cell, from where they are taken up by the intracellular fatty acid binding protein and distributed into the cell. So, I guess, exosomes are another mechanism that allows fatty acids to cross the plasma membrane through endocytosis. Could you just explain more about that? Yeah, sure. The first thing we need to understand is that exosomes are reservoirs of large amounts of free fatty acids. So these fatty acids accumulate in the exosomal membrane or bind to protein carriers present in the vesicle cavity. Although exosomes mainly transport saturated fatty acids, some monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fatty acids, you know, can also be transported through this route. Among these unsaturated substances, Arachidonic acid is the most representative one. There is such a phenomenon, I mean, the concentration of exosomal fatty acids increases and overcomes the ability to generate fatty acids from their phospholipids. This indicates that part of the fatty acids in exosomes come from the parent cells. So, the fatty acid arachidonic acid can produce eicosanoids, such as prostaglandins and leukotrienes, through lipid metabolism. Except for some fatty acids in exosomes derived from parent cells, the content of eicosanoids is much higher than the concentration in parent cells. If I'm right, does this mean that exosomes can concentrate the biologically active lipids from the parent cells? You are right. 
Not only that, we all know that. Exosomes accumulate in the cell compartment of the recipient cell, and the cell compartment is smaller than the cell itself. So, exosomes can concentrate bioactive lipids in target cells. For example, based on cell equivalence, exosomes derived from rat basophilic leukemia cells carry 15 times more prostaglandins than parental cells. Similarly, the biosynthesis of leukotrienes from the exosomes of dendritic cells is five times that of cells. The exosomes released by macrophages have very strong leukotriene synthase activity, which is 50 to 100 times higher than that of parent cells. I think these examples can all illustrate the same question. As far as I know, a single agonist lipid molecule is released from the cell and dispersed in the intercellular space. They are then dispersed throughout the entire cell volume of the target cell. Is the effect of exosomes on lipids the opposite of this? Yeah. Exosomes vectorize many molecules from the donor cell to a small compartment of the recipient cell. That's what we call the endosomal compartment. It is clear. There is a volume difference between the total endosomal compartment and the entire cell volume. Therefore, the internalization of exosomes into the endosomes of target cells does condense the bioactive lipids they carry. For instance, in rat basophilic leukemia cells with an average diameter of 15 microns, there are about 30 late endosomes with a diameter of 600 nanometers. The total volume of these 30 late endosomes is about 500 times smaller than the entire cell volume. Subsequently, the concentration of bioactive lipids in the late endosomal compartment is 500 times higher than their concentration dispersed in the entire cell volume. That makes sense. Many works have reported that exosomes are absorbed into target cells through endocytosis. Exosomes accumulate in the endosomes of recipient cells. This highlights the possible role of these endosomes as hubs for the distribution of biologically active molecules to several cell compartments. In this case, how will the exosomes respond? Well, in this case, the exosomes must fuse with the endosomal membrane that surrounds them. This is to release exosomal material into the cytoplasm. When exosomes carry extracellular tumor antigens, the process may involve antigen cross-presentation. Similarly, the microRNA must be released from the exosomes trapped in the endosome to target the transduction mechanism of the recipient cell. In addition, exosomes appear to contain mechanisms that allow them to fuse with endosomal membranes and release their substances into the cytoplasm. I only have one final question. Can we say exosomes are intercellular signal bodies involving biologically active lipids? Yes, you could say that. Leukotrienes and prostaglandins are synthesized by enzymes in the endoplasmic reticulum of donor cells. These enzymes and their respective products are also introduced into exosomes, making them an autonomous entity. Then, the intercellular communication of exosomes will be carried out between the late endosomes of the donor cells and the peripheral G-protein-coupled receptors of the recipient cells. This process will also be carried out between multiple late endosomes. I mean, there is indirect evidence that Internalized exosomes in the late endosomes of recipient cells can fuse with the late endosomal membrane and transport their contents into the cytoplasm, 
the released molecules may target receptors, or enzymes present in the endoplasmic reticulum or nucleus. Thanks Dr. Hofstadter. I think that's all we have today. Thank you for listening. There will be more interesting knowledge waiting for us in the next program. Next Saturday we will follow Dr. Hofstadter to learn more about exosomal lipids. See you next time. Thank you, I hope we will see you next time.